Hello, this is Alex Granados, reporter for Education NC, and you're listening to Ed Talk. Today we're talking with Eva Dubison. She's a partner at Therrington Smith Law Firm. They, uh, their biggest practice is education law, and uh, today we're going to be talking to her about uh, what role the law plays in education. Eva, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, and so we were talking a little bit about, uh, before the podcast, about education law. I, f- mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people don't understand the role that the law plays in education. So could you briefly just talk a little bit about how you got into this line of work? Absolutely. Um, well, I originally got interested in education law. Of course, I, I went to law school, but I also went to um, the P- School of Public Policy at Duke and did a master's program there and became interested in education policy through that program and became exposed to um, some of the policy issues that were going on at that time, including school segregation and resegregation. And it was a time when the Wake County schools were innovating a new system of student assignment um, based on socioeconomic status as opposed to race. And an attorney from Therrington Smith, the attorney who sort of founded our practice and Majestic, was representing Wake and was well known for assisting them in navigating that that kind of complex policy idea. And I saw her speak and was very interested in the role that she was playing with the school systems. Um, you know, we as education lawyers, we're not certainly developing policy. We are, like any lawyer, helping our clients achieve their goals, but our clients are you know, working to promote public education and um, innovate a lot of times in a policy area. And so it is an area of law where certainly I am practicing law and not developing policy ideas myself, but it is very intertwined with education policy. And so I've been at um, school board meetings of some districts and, uh, you know, in addition to all the school board members, there's always an attorney sitting Mm -hmm. off to one side. So in some districts, in some cases, that could be you. That's right. And what we're doing in the meetings, which is sort of the tip of the iceberg of what we're doing, but um, a lot of times is just helping the boards to follow open meetings law and public records law um, and even just Robert's Rules of Order. Um, and then to the extent that questions come up during the meeting, we may be advising on things like a real estate purchase or a personnel matter or a policy that they're looking to adopt and helping to word that in a, you know, the best way that comports with the law and also achieves their goals. And so why is it important to have somebody there to do that for the board? What what are the potential Mm -hmm. consequences if there's not that person there? Well, certainly when it comes to open meetings law and ensuring that you are doing, you know, school systems like any government agency are very highly regulated, even more certainly than a business. And certainly we assume that businesses would have lawyers helping them navigate that and and public agencies have even more legal obligations. And in the meetings, one of those is to make sure that they are complying with open meetings law, that they are doing things in public that are supposed to be done in public and things in private that are supposed to be done in private. And that's a big part of what we do is because that that line can be fine as to which things need to be discussed in public and which things need to be discussed in closed session. And so these are kind of some of the, you know, day-to-day on the ground things that you do. When we get to a higher level, what other kinds of legal matters mm-hmm. do, do school boards or or anybody else in education, schools, principals, 
deal with. Mm -hmm. It's a really wide variety and that's one thing I like about this practice is that it's it's not only something different every day, we say some, something different every hour. Um, certainly like any large organization, school systems have personnel issues, um, you know, in a lot of our counties the school system is the largest employer, you know, and they have hiring and firing and tenure and all of the things that come with that. Um, they are, as I said, uh, they're very highly regulated. So a lot of what we do is just helping our clients navigate all of the obligations and mandates that they have from federal and state government. Um, you know, one thing I've been doing this week is looking at what the General Assembly has done in the last session and picking out what um, highlights my clients need to know. And if you look, so the North Carolina School Board Association puts out a summary, a legislative summary of what happened in the legislature that affects public schools and it's like 30 pages long just from this session, right? And even when I'm picking out the things that my clients that actually are, they need to do something about, you know, some, something that requires action, it's still probably eight pages single spaced of things that they need to pay attention to from this legislative session. So, um, you know, everything from changing how that, you know, we're advising them on the new principal salary and figuring out how to pay their principals um, and changes to things like read to achieve or curriculum, all of that is tough to navigate. And when you think about it, educators and education administrators are highly educated in their area, but parsing legislation and certainly case law is not really what they're trained to do mm -hmm. and so that's why they need us so that that's interesting um <clears throat> we've done a lot of work on the principal pay proposal and, mm -hmm. and things like that um from a from a legal standpoint what what challenges i know it's a completely new salary schedule so you know um, yeah. school districts are now faced with going from what they had and trying to figure out what they're supposed to do now so what right. are the challenges that and that I think one face? of so one of the challenges with principal pay is when the salary schedule is changed um, there's you know on a broad level certainly one can understand that but what the school is trying to do is figure out what does Mr. Smith get paid now and if he falls on the salary schedule or the new salary schedule somewhere below where he was then he gets grandfathered if I recall correctly or if he falls below his assistant principal and so each principal has to be, you know, individually analyzed. And then their issues for us are that sometimes it's unclear. Or we have a principal who started mid-year. Or we have a principal who came from another district and this is going to change his salary. Or we made him this offer and now he's starting at this. And so, um, you know, and of course employees have rights. And we need to ensure that while we're meeting the salary schedule, we are also not somehow impinging on a public employee's rights. You know, we have to look at what their contracts say, make sure that their contracts are tied to the salary schedule instead of having a certain number offer, that kind of thing. And so what are some of the other items from this recent General Assembly session that are, um, uh, I guess, big ticket items, one, ones that mm -hmm. involve a lot of um, interaction on your part with districts? Well, one thing that I've been following closely is some of the funding that has been put aside for school construction. Um, I have 
or we have as a group some low wealth district clients that desperately need to build new schools and um, trying to figure out how to maximize their different grant sources and also how to finance the rest of what they need in a way that they can you know get approved and pay off um, and so we are closely monitoring you know so some funding sources were set aside by the general assembly for school construction in low wealth districts but it's up to the state board to figure out how to administer it and they're still figuring that out and meanwhile there are districts that have a you know a plan ready to go and are just sort of waiting to find out if they're going to be able to afford it or not so so that's something that we're monitoring so whenever anybody thinks about law they always picture the courtroom uh you know lawsuits or mm -hmm. you know sometimes criminal court but generally with education it would be things like lawsuits and that kind of thing mm -hmm. tell me about your experience with that and and how how big a part of uh, education law is actually going into the courtroom mm -hmm. so well certainly I would say a large part of education law is avoiding the courtroom um, and helping our clients avoid the courtroom um, going to court either getting sued or bringing a claim is you know it's interesting because people think of lawyers as argumentative and and really wanting to go to the mattresses over every issue but I think lawyers are uniquely positioned to understand how costly and toxic litigation is and you know certainly our perspective is it really drains away from a school system's mission and ability to do their job you know and so we try to minimize the time that they spend dealing with courtroom issues but certainly school systems do get sued all the time um, again like any large employer like any large organization um, certainly employee claims are a big part of it um, personal injury you know students getting injured at school um, even you know someone slipping and falling on the bleachers at a football game um, those kind of claims and then construction disputes the, you know they have large construction projects those end up in disputes contract disputes um, and then disputes over the education of students with disabilities is a is a large area of our practice right now um, and so in those cases you know it's interesting because as opposed to a family lawyer or someone who's dealing with an individual client the Board of Education is my client um, but it's their employees that I'm dealing with day to day you know it's superintendents or directors of various departments um, so if there's a, a lawsuit brought you know we are balancing our obligation to the board with going into schools and interviewing the staff um, we also get a lot of civil rights complaints that are filed and so you know last week I was in a school interviewing teachers about a claim that a parent had made um, and then I take that information and go back but I'm you know all this time I'm working on behalf of the board and I have to make that clear that I'm not I'm here with the teachers and often I am trying to help them but I'm not their lawyer mm -hmm. Is there a way in which, over the time that you've been practicing education law, the kinds of legal matters that you're dealing with have changed as kind of the structure of education has changed or as it's evolving? I think so. Um, and some of that is a change in emphasis 
from policymakers. So certainly um, disputes over the education of students with disabilities has grown exponentially as an area of our practice um, and some of that is just a greater attention brought to that issue but I think also as budgets have gotten tighter the students with the highest needs are the ones that feel it first and you know when you cut teaching assistance um, it is the students with higher behavioral needs and other higher levels of needs that the teaching assistants were spending their time with. And so um, it's a, I think, I think, I hope an unintended consequence, but, um, and certainly as budgets are tightened and sort of non-teacher staff are cut, I think it's the students with special needs or the students with a greater vulnerability that feel it more. Um, and so that has, that then gives rise to disputes and, and lawsuits. Um, I think that student discipline and also school, school assignment and, and school segregation were big issues when I started. I've been doing this about 10 years. Um, they have faded to the background a little bit. And I think with student discipline, part of it is that there has been a large change in um, the use of suspension and the emphasis on um, behavior supports in the classroom and at the school level. I mean, certainly there's a ways to go, and I know that there are many advocates who are certainly still very invested in that and making change in that area, but I do think that the certainly the number and amount of student suspension disputes that we see and the type, I think, has has changed since 10 years ago. And uh, do you pay much attention to uh, legal issues in education that you're not directly involved in? Like I'm, I'm thinking in particular of the lawsuit between the State Board of Education and the Superintendent of Public Instruction or anything like that? Some. Um, certainly we keep up with things like the Leandro case. I mean, our, our firm was involved in that for a long time and still is to some extent, but we represented the urban districts in that. Um, when they intervened in that case. Um, so so we do keep track of it because it's important to our clients and it comes up at school board meetings, you know. So um, there are issues that may not come to my desk as a legal question, but I have to know what my clients are talking about in a school board meeting. Um, and with regard to the Department of Public Instruction and their role, you know, it does affect us in one way because DPI and the state board administer a lot of the programs and the regulations that affect our districts. And so when they change emphasis or when DPI is cut, and so there's fewer people there when we call them, <laughs> um, you know, certainly that does affect us and our clients. And so we do, you know, we pay attention to it. Thank you so much for talking with me, Eva. Absolutely. This is Alex Granados, reporter for Education NC. We've been talking with Eva Dubison. She is a partner at Therrington Smith Law Firm, and you've been listening to Ed Talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>